Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, if you detect a spring in my step, it's because winter's back, Kieran. Winter, <laughs> winter has its own. I woke up to snow this morning, Smudge. I thought the house must be on fire. Smudge was agitated. She was trying to show me that there was something wrong. I opened the bedroom curtain and there it was, a lovely spread of snow that's disappeared to be replaced by sleet. With any luck, Palace's game against Man City will be frozen off until they have 11 injuries and we might have a chance for a point. Is it where are you, Kieran? Is it cold where you are? It is. I'm, I'm presently in Liverpool. We've, we've got snow here at present as I look out the window. Uh, and, and the Baroness has also been sending me photographs of, uh, of back home where the, where the bird table is, is not looking too good. I told her to go out and smash it and put a bit of warm water for our feathered friends. Hang on, the ball. Does that work? If you put hot water on a cold bird table, will that not crack the bird table? No, that's a wooden one. Oh, okay. Okay, All right. I stand by my previous comments. It's nice to know you've been looking after the bird table, Kieran. Um, I, I just can't imagine you resisting doing some great tits jokes every time one of the birds lands on the table, unfortunately, because I know I wouldn't be able to myself. Apologies to everybody for that little throwback to the 70s, but basically... That's where Kieran and I live half the time. Uh, it's news today, Kieran, and you know, one day we'll, we'll just be able to say, Do you know, there's no news. Everyone's all right this week, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And we start with a club, Kieran. We've had a couple of light hearted mentions of this club recently about when their kit is released, but the, the news has got a little bit heavier for them, hasn't it? Yes, this is Reading. Now, back in November 2021, um, they were subject to an investigation by the EFL, the Financial Review people, um, and the conclusion was that they'd lost too much money, they'd exceeded the financial fair play limits, and they were over the tariff by about £19 million. Now, what the EFL are doing, and, and I think there, there is a lot of merit on this, that they're trying to get clubs to the table, because ultimately they, they, they don't want to have points deductions, they, they just want to encourage clubs to behave in a bit of a better way. So what the EFL said at the time was, you're probably deserving a 12-point deduction, but we'll give you six points immediately in 21-22, in and we will suspend a further six points for 22-23. Um, and then we saw something on the EFL website, which in traditional not quite nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but at the same time, we think you ought to be aware of this happening. Um, it It's sort of inferring or implying, should I say, that uh, the business plan, which they encouraged uh, Reading to, to uh, c- comply with, um, isn't perhaps going as well as it should. Uh, and, and I think the big issue for Reading um, in, in their most recent accounts, which is the 2021 version, they were paying around about £240 in wages for every £100 that comes through the door. Clearly, it's, 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 it's a barking mad approach. Um, and there was, yeah, get your house in order and we won't do anything else. Um, certainly, the noises which are coming from Paul Ince, he, he's the manager there, that he seems quite nervous. Um, some of the newspapers are saying, well, you know, we, we could hear as as soon as sort of the next you know, seven to 10 days that 
Um, there will be a further six points deduction. And I think whatever decision is made, it is essential that that decision is made quickly because we are getting towards the end of the season. And you know, it's a terrible thing to say. If Reading do get another six points deduction, then those other clubs who are making decisions along the lines of, well, we've got to win this game, might now take the approach, well, actually, we just need to draw this game and, and therefore that will have uh, implications for you know, the manager picking the team, the tactics and so on. So it it, it, it is a shame um, for two, two reasons. First of all, that if Reading haven't made enough of an effort to, to comply with the business plan, does that indicate that the owners aren't taking it seriously? And secondly, you know, we've said from, from day one that things which happen on the pitch should determine where you finish at the end of the season and it's increasingly becoming a, a, a combination of on-field performance and off-field having good accountants and lawyers who, who can argue your case. I, I'm intrigued by this business plan, Kira. There's two issues here, it seems to me, apart from the huge discrepancy between income and player wages. I, I mean, are, are, does the business plan imply that there are one or two targeted interventions that the EFL thought that Reading could make? And if so, can you identify where Reading or where else, you should say, Reading have been uh, doing things incorrectly, shall we say? Well, I, I think in, in terms of the business plan, they'll be, they'll be focusing on two things. Um, first of all, looking at expected levels of revenue. You know, have, have the crowds kept up to expected uh, attendances? Reading aren't having a great season. You know, it has been a bit hit and miss. They, they, they have taken a few heavy defeats recently as well. Um, and, and then it comes to the area over which I think clubs do have greater emphasis, which is cost control. So ultimately, they offered contracts to players in the summer that, that they will have you know, bonus schemes, they will have overheads, um, which they should be trying to, to address. And that, should, that would have been submitted to the EFL. The EFL would subsequently have been along and said, well, you know, you said you were going to try to get wages down to, you know, so many million, but it looks as if you're you're way off. Um, I think there are some things which clubs, to a certain extent, are in the lap of the gods. If 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 you play a few matches at home and and, and you're bobbins, then you're not going to attract the floating fan. Um, and if, if if that's the reason for a point seduction, I actually got quite a lot of sympathy. Um, if if the club has offered contracts to players, which in retrospect look look too generous, then I've got far less sympathy. And and I know that the championships are it's a horrible horrible division. But Reading have been spending far too much money on wages for far too long. Um, it was a classic case of new owners coming in and wanting to get into the Premier League and, and the. The best way to do that is is to invest in talent. But if it comes at the cost of jeopardising the long-term future of the club and also increasing the arms race that exists in the form of wages, sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture. So we'll, that's that's sort of my summary of, of where they are at present. Uh, talking of cost control, Kieran, I was so giddy at the start of the show at the fact that there was sleet coming down outside. Now, I forgot to mention we have an interview uh, on this pod that you carried out with Liam Scully, who's the chief executive of Lincoln City, 
who's had his own uh, financial shock this week, which we'll be talking about in great detail at the end of the pod. In the meantime, um, the situation at Southend rumbles on with a, an unusual development, Kieran. Yes, this is in respect of um, a player called Casper uh, Lukata. He he joined Southend United on loan last season from Sheffield United. Um, he then signed a, a permanent contract. Uh, he, he joined the club on on a, on a proper deal at the start of this season. But he has now given notice to the club that he's walking away. And the reason for this would appear to be that the club has, on at least one occasion, been 28 days with his wages uh, being late. Mm. And under the the rules that exist between the Professional Footballers Association and clubs, um, that effectively nullifies the, the position of the contract. Southend are now saying he's, he's a good player, we don't want to lose him, um, and therefore we will be seeking compensation from any club that he joins, i.e. They, they want some form of transfer fee. Um, looking at the comments on social media, uh, Southend fans clearly rate him as well. Um, there's, a, there's a combination of sympathy and frustration um, in terms of what he's He's contributed. Uh, you know, certainly, he's been good on the pitch. Some some fans will take the view that, well, yeah, we get we gave you a chance, we offered you a contract, and now you're walking away from us. Other fans are saying, well, if, if I was, you know, if if, if, I, if I had rent to pay, if, if I had groceries to buy each week, and I hadn't been paid, I'd be looking for an alternative uh, employer. And once again, we're in this position that, in the case of of Ron Martin. He just rides roughshod over everything. He plays brinkmanship as, as we anticipated and predicted in relation to Southend and the winding up order. Um, and, and it does make you wonder where things are going to go in the future. The problem is, Kieran, for most of us football fans, is that we can't terminate our contract. We can't walk away when things are going badly. I suspect some of us might do if we could. So some fans get... Out, out, outraged at the idea that, that you know a rat is leaving the sinking ship, and it's not. It's it's an employee who's taking advantage of of the law essentially to try and improve his own future. So it's it's difficult to blame either side here. I don't blame the player, but I understand why fans are so upset by it. Yes, and and ultimately, if if Ron Martin had paid the wages on time, we wouldn't be in this situation. So you know if. If I was a fan, my my ire would be directed in in uh, towards him. Yeah, uh, we've been together long enough, Kieran, for me to recognise the way you said yes at the start of that answer. Then <laughs> it's, a, it's a yes; it clearly implies. I think we've just said that, but we can find another way of saying the same thing if you want. So let's move on. Um, there aren't many people, Kieran, with a naughty step bigger than yours. I mean, you've got a naughty. Step. You need a big naughty step to be honest, Kieran. But if, if anybody has a bigger naughty step than you, it's, it's UEFA. And they've put uh, 11 more people on it this week. Yes. And I think this is uh, a sign that UEFA do mean business. Um, what, what's happened is that these 11 clubs are being punished. Uh, many of them are being fined um, it, because football is is a circular industry. 
And therefore, you're reliant on other clubs doing the right thing to allow you to do the right thing. And UEFA have certainly upped their game when it comes to um, the late payment of transfer fees, uh, the late payment of wages, and also some some taxes as well. <clears throat> and, I, and I think they, you know, UEFA are a flawed organisation in in some aspects, but here they they should be given some credit. Um, they're clubs that we're not hugely familiar with, um, although you know, we'll have heard of the likes of, of Cluj, of the Romanian champions, because they, they've played in Europa competitions. <clears throat> there are, at the start of the season, 120 clubs who join various parts of UEFA's competitions. You know, sometimes they are the preliminary rounds and so on. And uh, UEFA is therefore able to um, use a little bit of leverage against them. Um, Alexander Severin, who is the Slovenian uh, head of UEFA, I suspect he will be slightly embarrassed that uh, Olimpija, uh, which which is a, a Slovenian club, are, are one of the the dirty not quite dozen, um, and, and they've been uh, they they've been sanctioned as well. So the sums involved are not huge because UEFA just wants to nudge clubs in the right direction. But quite often for some of these clubs, it's sort of seen as a first step um, towards potentially um, more serious sanctions, uh, you know, the, the worst of which would be um, being unable to uh, participate in UEFA competitions, which, which can be very lucrative. I've, I've been looking at the accounts of some clubs, especially some of the Scottish clubs, and, and the difference between participation and non-participation even if we're looking at the Europa League or the Europa Conference, on, on a percentage basis can be huge. Um, and I think that's one thing, because of the success of the Premier League, we're actually perhaps a little bit sniffy at times about UEFA's smaller competitions and, and the impact that they have on, on the smaller nations. You know, Everybody's talking about... Uh, and, and rightly so, about Grimsby getting to the quarterfinal of the, the FA Cup and the, the financial impact that it has on them. Well, I think the same can be similar for, for some of the clubs amongst UEFA's, what was it, 55, 56 different, uh, different members um, that, that just e- even getting to the, the group stages of the, the conference is worth a few million. And, and that can be uh, you know, potentially doubling the revenue of, of a club uh, for a particular season allows it to, to invest more in players. It allows to invest in academies to put more money into infrastructure and so on. And one of UEFA's biggest clubs, Kieran, won't be paying any transfer fees, new transfer fees, this summer, late or otherwise. Yes, well, it, it would appear that, um, and, and I, I do like the way that La Liga, especially Tebas, who who is start raving mad, but in a highly entertaining way. And he, he, he doesn't care who he upsets. Um, and and that's, that's quite good, you know, given that he is head of La Liga and the, the dominance of Spanish football from Real Madrid and Barcelona. He's, he's still prepared to uh, not give them any special privileges. So um, under the Spanish cost control rules, the way that it works is you are given a budget which is based on your your estimated money coming into the club and also any loan repayments and so on. Um, And uh, Barcelona, I think, are going to have to adopt a sell-to-buy strategy over the course of the summer because 
looking at the numbers at present, they they will have no headroom in which they can sign players. Um, and some people will say, um, well, hold on, you know, weren't we in this situation nine months ago? Um, and then they produced all of these, what they refer to as economic levers, but I think the wider world refers to as glorified payday loans, where they they sold future income streams to financial institutions and they got cash up front, which then allowed them to sign players, which was ridiculously short term. Um, and, and I'm not uh, Florentino Perez's biggest fan by a long way. But what we have seen from Real Madrid is that when Real Madrid have been in broadly similar situations, their response is right. We're not going to sign players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we we're going to stick we're going to stick it out for a, a, a window or two. Um, and you've only got to look at their their record in the Champions League. They they still have, are a magnificent outfit um, in terms of their ability to, to play um, knockout football. I think it's, it's probably second to none. So. I think Barcelona are in a, a bit of a mess. Um, some of the players they signed last summer have been hit and miss, with perhaps more miss than hit. Um, and so where they go in terms of trying to, to unload players who, who haven't performed, given the wages that they're on at Barcelona, I think will be very challenging. And this is this is always the issue when, when you sign big players on big money, that if it doesn't work out, who's going to take them off your hands? Mm. Kieran, we've used the words in this next sentence quite often yes. on this pod. So just by way of a change, I'm going to put them in a different order to see if you can work them out. Um, <laughs> let, let's start with Irish government, FAI bailout. Yes. Um, the FAI, which is the Football Association of the Republic of Ireland, um, is going to the government and saying, um, we've got legacy issues. And <laughs> legacy issues is, is a code word in Ireland. That, um, a, bit, a bit like Voldemort, John Delaney is somebody whose name nobody seems keen to, to mention, um, partly due to the fact that he is extremely litigious um, and partly because the fact that I think no, nobody wants to actually acknowledge his existence. He's such an embarrassment to Irish football. Um, and anybody that's read the, the book Champagne Football, and I know I've mentioned it on the show on a couple of occasions before, but it is, uh, it's one of those things which is compelling yet depressing mm. at the same time, that you would think that uh, there would be people who are prepared to stand up to, to people whose intentions aren't necessarily best for the game as a whole, I'll say no more than that, um, has meant that the Irish FA got into a huge financial mess and it's been slowly digging itself out of it. Um, COVID came along, that made things more difficult, but it, it looks as if it's going to have to go to the Irish government and put put a, together a persuasive case for, you know, I think, two and a half million euro. That could be due in, in respect, I think, some of the grants which have been given for the Aviva Stadium. I don't know whether they were due for repayment, perhaps to try to kick those repayments down the road. Um, but it, it doesn't reflect well on, uh, on on the FAI, and it certainly doesn't reflect well on on those who historically have been responsible for its its uh, its growth and success or lack of. Mm. It has to be said, Kieran, that during COVID, the Republic of Ireland were much stricter for much longer. 
So sport was affected for a, mm. a, a greater time. People were kept out of sporting events for a greater time than they were here, for example. Well, there comes a time, it, it, it's, almost, it's almost tempting for someone like me to have someone like Delaney as an excuse a long time and to keep saying, Valley keeps saying, uh, why haven't you paid your VAT this month? Oh, I'll just go, legacy issues. <laughs> it's, it's left over. It's left over from the last time I couldn't pay it. Basically, Ali Ali doesn't go. Oh right, fine. Here's a here's a bailout. And but he, how how long can you go on saying to the Irish government, now nah, we're still still paying for that that Delaney fella? Uh, and he, even they will be saying we can't tell you why we're paying for that Delaney fella because he will sue us, as you say. But you can you can just keep. I'm slightly worried now that he might be suing me because I've implied. But you, do you know what I mean? There comes yeah. a time when you have to go. Actually, that was quite some time ago now. We've had a fair bit of time to put our house in order and we're still not managing to do it. I, I think part of the problem is you've got to look at the money which is generated in Irish football. Right. And uh, you know, the, the national team haven't been ripping up any trees um, and therefore it does make it that much more challenging for the FAI to to sell the hospitality packages and, and, and so on, where you know, the, the team isn't scoring goals. Hopefully, Evan Ferguson will address that yeah. um, on, on a national basis, as, as well as he has done on a, uh, on a, team, uh, on a domestic team basis. Um, and it, it's made a, a troubling position even worse. Uh, but it, it, it does go to show that, you know, whether we like it or not, the, these dull words such as governance are... Mm absolutely critical for for the survival of the game because uh, the FAI was 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 at 11:59 p.m. and I don't want to sound too melodramatic in, in terms of uh, yeah, it, its survival prospects and I suppose the other problem for the FAI at the moment Kieran is is that at the moment if you have Irish companies looking to sponsor Irish teams they're going to be looking at the rugby side rather than the football side aren't they yeah I mean yeah the, the rugby side are just frighteningly good yeah. and 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 that's great um you know for 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 a country which has a you know, pretty small population to to be able to put this and also the fact that it you know it, it is it is the irish team and, and you know regardless of one's political or or, or religious position on it um to, to have to have you know a team that comes together uh, just to show that we've got more in common than, than, than sets us apart. Uh, you've just made Guy very edgy now. Guy's, guy's Googling Irish history as we speak to make, sure, <laughs> to, to make sure no one gets upset by that. Um, two financial stories from the West Midlands. I don't know why I say financial stories, Kieran. They're, they're entirely likely to be financial stories, considering we are called <laughs> the price of football. <laughs> but just in case some people weren't paying attention. Um, two financial stories in uh, the West Midlands, Kieran. Yes, and, and the first of which is um, Aston Villa have published their accounts, and we, we now, and we now have the accounts from ten clubs of the Premier League. So we've got exactly halfway through the publications, and of those ten clubs, nine have lost money on terms of a you know day to day, week to week basis in terms of you know, your ticket sales and so on, and you know, paying out wages and your other overheads. Um, and I do think this is this is really something which is is misunderstood in the sense that many people are saying getting to the Premier League and staying there for a few years is is a license to to print money. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, Palace have been in the Premier League now for, for 10 seasons. Um, and if you look at their accounts, they made a profit in, of, in one of those. Brighton have only made a profit in, in one of the seasons since they've been in the Premier League. Um, and uh, you then see that clubs are still reliant on either player sales or owners digging out the club to, to prevent them from getting into a greater financial mess. Um, and, and in the case of Villa, uh, they lost on a sort of a, a day-to-day basis. They they lost 70-odd million pounds. And you go, hold on, that is yeah, one and a half million pounds a week. This, this is Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah. Aston, Villa is, Aston Villa have won the European Cup. Aston Villa have got a huge fan base. It's the, they're, they're, they're part of the second biggest city in the country. And how can they be be losing money and it comes down to as as before cost control all the dull things and i i, I do think as a you know i don't want to sound like a you know a wet blanket these days but i think we've become transfer junkies huh. and you, you you look at you, you look at what occupies the the back pages of newspapers and therefore social media and therefore commentary it's spend 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 and anybody that takes an alternate view to say, well, if you're going to spend, 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 you've got to make sure that you've got the ability to spend. Are, are you? Uh, do you have a sustainable position? Um, and you know, as, as this indicates, that the vast majority of the cases of that is no. Having said that, uh, I mean, I think there were a couple of sort of, for me, big issues or significant issues. Um, Aston Villa had to pay... Uh, the former owner, Randy Lerner, £10 million last season. And, and that was because um, under the terms of his sale agreement of Villa to Tony G, if Villa returned to the Premier League, and, and Randy Lerner told the club, I think just as, as Villa unfortunately were relegated, said that if Villa returned to the Premier League and they stayed there for three seasons then uh, this, this payment of £10 million had to be made. But also, it said that if Tony G didn't make the payment, then it fell upon the club to repay the money to Randy Lerner. I mean, R- Randy Lerner lost an absolute fortune at Villa, probably somewhere in the region of 150 million quid. And I, I know he wasn't necessarily the most popular of owners because he, he didn't engage with the fan base and, and fans therefore you know, start to, to, to run with their own sort of conspiracy theories and, and views on them on the owner themselves. Um, and of course, Tony G disappeared in effect. So it did fall upon the club to, to pay that. Um, and, and, and I was asked by a Villa fan to, could, could I summarize the accounts in three words on the grounds that, the last thing they want is me droning on forever <laughs> and a day about it. Um, uh, to which my three words were, God bless Jack. Uh, because the sale of Jack Grealish effectively covered all of the losses for last season. Um, and without him going, they wouldn't have been able to invest in the transfer market. Villa, um, based on the accounts we've seen to date, spent more money in 21-22 recruiting players than any other club in the Premier League. So the, 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 he is a local lad. I, I must confess, I'm, I'm just a massive fan of Jack Grealish. He just makes me smile every time he gets near the ball. Um, and he does seem pretty genuine kid as well. But he 
uh, he, he's done wonders in, in terms of allowing Villa to, to be competitive. How well the money has been spent, that's a, that's a footballing discussion, it's a footballing issue. Yeah, we don't get involved in that, but that they wouldn't have been able to, to sign some of the players who, who they did recruit had it not been for, for him moving on to Manchester City. Kieran, I, I don't know whether I should tell you this because you're a man who spends way too much time on the internet as it is, but there's a website, <laughs> a website devoted entirely to Jack Grealish's calves. Really? Yeah, he doesn't have a farm, so you know what I'm talking about. In terms of how well they've spent their money, Kieran, Aston Villa fans will be saying, well, unlike the nine clubs below them, they're not going down this season. You know, the, the, the bottom nine is so close, and unfortunately we might be at the top of it, but we're definitely in it. There are nine clubs there in danger of getting relegated. Villa aren't one of them. So, and by the way, just before we move on, which is the one club out of the ten that's not making losses on a daily basis? Uh, West Ham. Oh, that's oh, you. You surprised yeah. me. What we got? A, yes, that, yeah. That's interesting uh, because uh, Manchester United lost money. Uh, Arsenal. Yeah, all the big six lost money, uh, which 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 surprised me. Uh, yeah, despite the benefits that they have. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. Winter may be clinging on, but our friends at Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the best tools for some spring cleaning in your pants. Trust me, your confidence will be blooming like the flowers. So if you want your bulbs to look their best this spring, join the other 8 million men who trust Manscaped. And that's because Manscaped are here to change the way all of us take care of ourselves down there with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside this ball care bundle, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0, just the needed stuff for a spring clean. And that's a trimmer, which is both waterproof and equipped with an LED light. They also have a weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, a crop preserver to deodorize your balls, and a crop reviver toner. And if you buy now, you'll receive two free gifts. They're very comfy performance boxer briefs and their stylish shed travel bag to hold your goodies. So you get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Your little fellas will thank you. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. The second story from the West Midlands is Coventry City, Kieran. Yes, I mean, I think there is a good news story in in relation to Coventry City in the sense that um, they have a new owner in Doug King who 
appears to have the the fan base uh, approval, which I think is always is useful. But um, I think the, the thing that, that I noted is that although their results for for last year were were okay uh, by by the standards of the championship, and then I say, well, hold on, this is a business which is losing a hundred grand a week, and I'm saying, yeah, they're doing all right, Coventry. They 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 do seem to have uh, a strategy, and this was this is in respect of the the old owners. Um, they, they're one of the very few clubs that spent less on wages than than their income uh, totals uh, added up to. So, so that is to be encouraged. But uh, they, they, I think, they are starting to move forwards. They, they, they're starting to spend, by their standards, a wee bit more money, even if it is only three or four million pounds a year um, on on transfers. And they're, they're you know, they're. they're producing reasonably decent football in terms of results as well. So I think the fans are quite hopeful. Um, the The stadium issue, I think, is, is closer to being resolved um, you know, because there, there is the, the shadow of Mike Ashley um, over the, the stadium, which is, which is always something which needs to be addressed. But uh, they, they have done, by championship standards, pretty well. Um, and, and I think we, we do have a split championship in the sense that you know, clubs such as you know, Coventry, Millwall, Preston, they're quite keen to have greater controls over the finances, to have wage controls and so on. Um, but the clubs coming down from the Premier League and um, uh, one other club who, uh, I won't mention their name, but you can get very good oat cakes from there, um, they, they seem to be opposed to it. And, and, and that's why we've got a bit of a conflict operating in, in that division at present. Uh, and in the East Midlands, Kieran, the owner of Nottingham Forest has been busy this week. Yes, I mean it's actually this, is, this applies now to a couple of, of East Midlands uh, clubs because the results have been coming out, sort of uh, like uh, like well, I don't want to say like 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 something coming out very fast, um, which at our age is is fairly rare. Um, but uh, the the owner of Nottingham Forest has. Uh, has lent the club a huge amount of money. And what he's been doing over the past year or two, he's saying, and I think this is just, as much as anything else, an acknowledgement of reality. Because for many club owners, they're like the bank of mum and dad in the sense that they lend money to the football club. They know the club will never be in a position to repay it. The club knows it will never be in a position to, to repay it, and you you keep up the facade. Um, but uh, Mr. Mar- Marikanakis has has written off forty one million pounds. He said, right, I'm going to convert that into shares. And um, we've seen uh, at Leicester the the owners have done fairly similar. I think it was with one hundred and ninety million pounds at Leicester. Um, and in the last twenty four hours, we've seen the Stoke owners effectively do the same. You know, Bet three six five have said, well. We've we've bought the stadium from you. We've uh, we, we've we we sponsor the shirts very generously by by championship standards, and now we're going to write off 120 million pounds of, of money, which is owed by the club because Stoke have been racking up the losses themselves. Um, and this this does seem to be, um, I think, an acknowledgement of uh, where we are in terms of football that it is a loss making industry. 
um, and any hope that owners had perhaps a few years ago, perhaps when they first got involved with football, that they would be able to initially put money in and get it back is uh, is, is optimistic, to put it mildly. Um, are there any financial fair play benefits to this? In my view, there aren't any. It's merely a case of, of tidying up the balance sheet and, and making the, the finances appear better um, than, than they, they perhaps actually are from a, from a day-to-day running of the business basis. Now, the fans of two Premier League clubs, Kieran, are unhappy this week for different reasons, and the first are Leeds United. Yes, um, it's season ticket renewal time, and uh, we, we've had hours at Brighton. I think we've been asked to pay on, on average about four percent, and the reaction of the fans has been, "Well, actually, we're, we're actually quite happy with that." But, but that, that helps. That well, of course you are at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, they 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 could do do practically anything, and um, there wouldn't be too much of a of a negative reaction. Um, but in respect of Leeds. Um, season ticket prices have gone up by around about 10%. Now, the owners will say Leeds is losing money, so therefore we need to address this. The owners are also aware that Leeds have got a fantastic fan base. And if some people can't afford to to renew their season tickets, the club will be you know, sorry to see them go, but they've got a long waiting list. So from an economic point of view, you can understand why Leeds have done it. You know, Football clubs are facing double-digit inflation, um, partly due to their inability to control their wage costs, um, and they are passing this on more or you know more or less levels to um, season ticket holders themselves. So, yeah, I, I think Leeds fans are pretty irate with regards to this. Um, you can understand that at a time when we are all tightening belts having to, to juggle far more than we have done. Um, I, I, I posted, a jar of Marmite's gone up to six pounds, yeah, which is yeah. outrageous. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's the type of mess that that we're in. Um, so I, I feel absolutely a you know, huge amount of sympathy for Leeds fans because they are incredibly loyal, as, as are the fans of all clubs. Mm. And, and to be asked to find an extra 10% is, is going to be a challenge. I, I did pass on your Marmite tweet uh, to some contacts of mine at Comic Relief to say they needed to do something about this, but as yet they've not responded, Kieran. I think there might be other priorities uh, right. to them <laughs> rather than you having to pay six quid for a jar of Marmite. Now, I know um, this is not a problem for what Danny Dyer would say, would call your mob, but the Leeds season ticket announcement, are these prices going up by 10% regardless of what league Leeds may be in next season? Um, it looks like that is the case because you're getting your renewals in. And remember, <clears throat> in the championship, you're getting to see an extra four games. Yeah. So, ah, okay. uh, you know, Tuesday nights are never dull in the championship. It's not much of a consolation, Kieran, those, no. those, Pal- yeah. those Palace fans are already looking for one. Um, and the other West Ham fans are upset this week for different reasons. Yes, this, this was a story in The Guardian that a couple of football clubs have made political donations. Um, we did see the uh, West Ham over, David Sullivan, um, have a bit of a rant yeah. when Some, the announcement yeah. of the 
football regulator and the white paper was made. Some, some, um, some toys were thrown out of his pram, without a doubt. <laughs> yes. Um, I think along the lines of the government is rubbish, so therefore the regulator will be rubbish, mm. um, which uh, was sort of yeah, extracting things perhaps a, a wee bit far. So people say, well, okay, if he thinks the government rubbish, that's one thing. And then we find out, uh, well, why is West Ham donating money to a political party? And indeed, the government, the the, the Conservative Party. Um, yeah, and I'm, as, as you know, I'm, I'm a political orphan when it comes to the parties themselves, but it, it does seem a bit a bit strange. Now, we're not talking a huge sum of money, um, but he, he has chosen to do that. Um, and I think some fans feel that there's a bit of double standards involved. And then perhaps some fans are also saying, well, he did this before the announcement of the regulator. And was this to try to uh, you know, nudge uh, a watering down of, of the proposals and so on? And the other club that has uh, made a political donation, again, to the same party is, is Peterborough United, which, uh, which seems uh, a, bit, a, a bit random, to put it mildly. Um, but again, it, it's it's the owners who are putting money into the clubs who can make these decisions, and um, I'm, I'm sure they've they've got their reasons for doing so. I mean, it, it should come as no surprise, Kieran, to many people that people who are wealthy enough to be able to afford to buy and run a football club are likely to be Tory supporters, and not. We know that's not always the case. You know, Bet Three Six Five, the owners of Stoke, have got traditional links with the Labour Party. One of the original. People who bought Palace and saved Palace was a big donator to Brexit, and not a cause that I supported. But it was his money, not the club. So there's, there's there's nothing you can do except respect somebody's individual right to make a donation to the party they want. But I think I think you're right. If if this leaves him open to the accusations of trying to buy influence or trying to water down the white paper, it doesn't look too good. But basically, it's a millionaire giving money to a party for millionaires, essentially. Mm. I know Guy doesn't like us to be political, but again, I think if he Googles that, it's pretty much what will come up. Um, uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Kieran, just down the road, are not on the naughty step as such, but they've had a little bit of a slap on the wrist, haven't they? Yes. Um, you know, we've, we've praised Spurs on many occasions for, for doing the one thing that, that is, makes football so dumb in the sense that football's open 25 days a year. Um, in terms of raising money. So so the Spurs Stadium um, uh, is being used for concerts. They've now got this arrangement with Formula One for a go-kart track underneath the stadium, all, all, all types of innovative things. And I think they, they do deserve some credit for that. But um, it's also you should be checking their small print. So it looks as if they've they've booked one Beyonce concert too many. Ah. And you know, they have to have a licence with the local council for the number of events, because it, it does disrupt uh, the the local community. You know, to have all of these people. Now, I know that you know some some people near the Spurs Stadium are, are very innovative, and you know, I've I've seen people uh, you know selling food and drink from effectively from their front window, or they they they, they make their their car park space available to people attending events. But the downside is that you've got you know, 60,000 people turning up, making noise, causing disruption, creating litter, yeah, yeah. And, and therefore the local council has a responsibility to to try to get the balance right between 
the number of events, which, of course, increases money for the local community, for local businesses, especially in the hospitality sector, and a bit of peace and quiet for local residents. So, uh, yes, Spurs appear to have booked Beyonce. And you know, I can understand her selling out very, very quickly and be huge demand for tickets. Um, but it looks like they've, they've ordered one too many gigs. Yeah, I'd, I came home the other night. Ellie had some friends around. I came home to the sound of crazy right now, belting out from the kitchen. I, I, I thought if I had enough money, I'd go and stay in a hotel for the night. I'm going to have to front this out. Um, now, Kieran, our final story before your interview with Liam Scully, Chief Executive of Lincoln City, um, concerns Lionel Messi. And if you and I won the World Cup, Kieran, I think we would celebrate. I think I think we might get a posh takeaway that particular night. I think you'd, you'd probably buy as many jars of Marmite as you wanted. We, we might even treat ourselves to a, a couple of days away. I'd, I'd probably go to Bruges. I love Bruges, especially in the winter. But Lionel Messi has found... Um, Slightly more extravagant way than that of celebrating his World Cup win. Well, yes, this is this is a story which, which has been doing the rounds that he has bought each of his teammates in the Argentinian World Cup's winning squad um, a solid gold iPhone, or not solid gold, but a gold iPhone, should I say, a solid gold iPhone wouldn't be particularly useful, especially at making phone calls. Um, and there has been a photograph of this uh, on social media, and his name was linked to it. But subsequently, it would appear that uh, I think he's taking the credit, or I don't think he's he's probably not taking the credit. People have put two and two together. Um, and it has actually been a, a an Argentinian businessman who is extremely grateful for the World Cup squad in, in their, their achievements. Um, and uh, he has actually provided the funding. I'm not sure whether it's 175,000 in total or 175,000 per iPhone. It was it was difficult sort of working out from the uh, from from what's what's been doing the the rounds in terms of media. But um, they, they do look um, they do look spectacular. Uh, but I, I, I personally wouldn't want a phone because you know you know when you sort of you, that desperate moment, you go, oh God, what have I done with it? And, you, and you're searching around and you're, you're, you're having to get the you know, alley or the Baroness to, to in my case, to, to, to phone your phone. And I, I wouldn't want it with, uh, with a phone costing that amount of money. Well, also, let's face it, Kieran, you and I are at that age where we do that really embarrassing thing when we're dragged down to the shop to get a new phone, like our mothers used to drag us down to get a school uniform. And we stand there going, I just want to make phone calls, mate. You know you've made it when you're on a gold iPhone WhatsApp, a gold iPhone WhatsApp group, don't you? Doesn't get <laughs> yes, better than absolutely. Killian, <laughs> Killian Mbappe trying to join, you know, and Harry Kane trying to Harry. Oh, Killian could, of course, but Harry Kane trying to join in saying, "Sorry, mates, gold iPhone only this one." Yeah, uh, I, I don't think Martinez would have Killian Mbappe yeah. in the same WhatsApp group. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, now, Lincoln City are a club, Kieran, that we very much like and admire on this pod. Uh, at the end of last week, there's a rather plaintive, if not desperate, uh, press release from them about a, a short-term financial issue, uh, essentially with their credit card provider. Um, and you and Liam Scully, the chief executive of Lincoln City, got together to discuss the problem. Liam, thank you very much for coming on the show. We've invited you, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, but I, I saw 
the announcement on the IMPS website last week uh, with regards to a credit card merchant. And I thought a credit card merchant was my Uncle Terry, who, who sometimes sells hookies <laughs> down, down the pub. But I believe it's actually far more significant for, for you as a club. Can you sort of explain to us what's happened and, and why it why it's, should be a worry for the football industry? Uh, because it must have implications beyond Lincoln, Lincoln themselves. Yeah, so I suppose the the, the merchant is the, is the payment gateway. So the wizardry between you tapping your card or your phone or inserting it um, in, into the chip and pin device, making your payment, and then whichever uh, you know provider you're going to, whether that's Lincoln City Football Club or your your local coffee shop, it, it, you know how they receive receive those funds. Um, so the, the, the situation that, that happened with with our merchant was that we were written to very recently. Um, and they basically just said, yeah, thank you, thank you very much, but we no longer want to, to do business with you. You, you know, you guys are, are too much risk. Um, so, yeah, pr- pretty much, um, you know, the finance team and, and various people at the football club then go into overdrive because we're in the midst of, of early bird season ticket renewals period, which is an important milestone in, in our financial calendar for a number of reasons. Um, so, uh, and yeah, we ended up in a situation where we're now scrambling and looking for an alternative kind of payment gateway in order to be able to receive the, the fans' funds for, for season tickets and other match-by-match products. That's that's crazy. I, I can't believe anybody is turning business away in, in any form of business. So that they've done, they say it's it's a risk assessment. Are, are you... Is, is it is it just Lincoln? Or have you spoken to your your colleagues at other clubs? Is 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 this something which is sort of permeating football as far as you're aware? Yeah. So, so uh, first and foremost, um, you know, our, our partner in, in this space was was Elevon. Um, I re- respect whatever decision that they have to make. Naturally disappointed. I don't understand what you know what goes on in the in the cogs and the wheels behind them. And you know, my, my intention here is isn't to kind of call them out or, or cause distress or, or anything in, in that area. But I think my my, my main concerns as the chief executive of, of what hopefully is a reasonably well-run football club is first and foremost, trying to, trying to understand that, that risk to that partner. We've, we've never had a single dispute over a chargeback. So that's a refund. So anybody come into us and say, you know, I, 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 you know, you've defaulted, you've not given me the services that I provide, you know, that I've paid for, or, you know, I, I no longer want your product. We've never had a dispute in, in that area, even in the pandemic when, you know, Lincoln city, we did a range of things between refunds uh, and share options. So, so that's not helped, you know, not, not changed. Our, our business model hasn't materially changed in the period that we've been working with this organization. Um, so in order to sign up and work with them, we have to provide cash flows. We have to provide kind of business modeling, P&Ls, and explain fundamentally how, how we meet uh, the deficit. You know, Lincoln City are and, and will continue to be a loss-making entity without an extraordinary event, be that a cup run or, or a player sale. Um, and we, were, you know, we require goodwill and support of our owners and investors to, to inject um, equity in the, into the football club to, to keep us afloat. Now, again, I, I can understand um, why that may deem you know not a not a suitable partner for some. But I go back to the fact that in this scenario, you know, nothing nothing has has changed for us. I, I suppose wider on in the industry since since our statement, I think there's a number of things that I, that I have been learning. So yeah, we're, we're not special. Um, 
you know, some, some, you know, th- this is something that's been happening for for a while in in, in this space. Uh, and I suppose the bigger, you know, one of the biggest concerns that I'm, I'm starting to learn about is a lot of these organisations now um, are retaining season ticket holders' money and releasing it to the club on a on a match by match basis. That that doesn't wow. quite work for our for our cash flow modelling. And, and mm. I'll explain explain why. Uh, and then the other one, or the other one is, I've heard that a number of owners have had to put up personal guarantees and bonds. Um, in addition to them helping support and underwrite the football club in, in order to underwrite this, you know, quote unquote debt um, that, that goes through these systems. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting time for football. We're obviously trying to understand it, whether, whether you know, we're just the, the you know, one end of the spectrum and, and, and for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we, we've just felt the rough end of the stick or, or whether this is a wider problem. But, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think Lincoln City are reasonably well run. Um, and, and not a, a, a material risk above and beyond other football clubs. So, yeah, slightly concerning for, for Lincoln City and, and for the industry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not here to blow smoke up your backside, but when I'm asked about clubs which I think do it the right way, you're always one of those clubs that I quote in terms of the, the owner uh, equity injections. It's it's small and regular, which makes sense from a cash flow point of view. You've You've clearly got a budget which you stick to, um, and also you know, you're very transparent. You know, I've, I've I've got to know you. You've invited me onto the the fans board on occasions to talk um, and, and listen as well. Um, you know, th- these 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 tick so many boxes in terms of what I would consider to be good governance and transparency. I, I find it. I do find it strange, um, and also, I mean, you you sort of you touched upon it, it is season ticket time. You know, Lincoln have got. 6,000 season tickets, um, you know, which, which you normally sell per year. And, and presumably, the, the money you receive in, in respect of season tickets funds that cash gap in, in June and July when you've not got any matches taking place at the stadium. Yeah, pr- pr- pretty much ex- exactly that. You know, the way the way we work on our on our budgets at, at Lincoln City, and I'm sure that it, it's many other football clubs, myself and our director of finance, we prepare various reports and, and go to our board. You know, right throughout the period from from between December 2022 right through to February 2023, really, which is looking at our overall strategy for how we're going to run the business over the course of the next year. You know, as per our industry at the moment, I have to go to them with a loss, and I say, look. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to cost you, you know, 10 chocolate buttons this, this year if, if we want to run to this business plan. How, how does that sound? You know, quite typically they, they come back and say, well, yeah, yeah, Liam, we don't like 10, but we're, we're happy to underwrite, you know, eight and yeah. see what you can do elsewhere. And let, let's talk about the timing of when you need those chocolate buttons. Um, and, and then the early bird season ticket campaign does, does two things for us. Um, num- number one, um, it allows us to bring cash into the business at a period of time, as you've rightly identified, when when there isn't much activity going on, um, you know, throughout the summer um, and ahead of further drops that you receive from core funding and then from matches as you play later on in the year. But the second thing it also enables you to do is to actually understand and do some further business modeling to, to look at what your renewal re- re- rates look like plan and plot your attendance to then actually sharpen your pencil and, and have a look at how you best run an effective football club and an effective business at, at, at the same time. Um, so that that's the reason for the early bird. So a scenario that would see, in theory, Lincoln City not able to run, um, you know, that, that model and or a model that you would see uh, where I'm hearing from some clubs that, you know, that the merchants are going to keep hold of that cash that is paid over by the season ticket holder and release it 
you know, after each match has been delivered, um, you know, I, I'm not too sure that they really work for, for our industry. Mm. And again, in, in difficult times and understanding and respecting, we, we, we do present risk. We're not, you know, we're not the most perfect industry. I, I go back to the fact that no, nothing has changed materially, um, you know, over the last couple of years. And obviously with the, with the fan-led review and the regulator, we, we're certainly heading towards more sustainable times. Um, but but that is our industry. That's how it's worked. That's how it's worked since God was a lad. Um, and, <laughs> and and you know, uh, I, I struggle to see what what's changed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've I've got your accounts um, in front of me, and for anybody in a normal business school, I would be saying we'd have to look at the challenges in this industry. You know, you're losing what about two million pounds a year. Wage bill has gone up by 20%. You've invested in talent. You've invested in infrastructure quite a lot. You're reliant upon owner funding. Do, do you think that it that football is sustainable? Do you mean, you know, if, if you were to have a crystal ball, do you think you're still confident we'll have 72 clubs in the EFL in five years' time? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. I, I, I do because football seems to have a resilience and, and it always finds a way, you know, in, in all the number of distress situations that, that we do have um, and have had in the past, you know, football clubs always find a way. And I think you'll you'll find, I think we're probably one of the most resilient, um, you know, sectors that, that there are mm. going. That that said, I wholly agree with you, Kieran. You know, th- this model, you know, is, isn't right. You know, Lincoln City... Um, you know, we, we in order to be competitive in League One, um, despite having um, good attendances, despite you know commercially, you know we, we benchmark and we look at you know being reasonably astute, operationally reasonably efficient. You're absolutely right to highlight that we lose, you know, that we lose in the region of two million pounds without an extraordinary you know event, like say cup runs or, or player trading. Um, but all of that is, you know, is is underwritten by by owner equity and investment, which you'll have seen at, at Lincoln City that yep. our owners and investors, you know, continue to contribute. But I think the wider point is, no, I, I don't think that the industry should have to rely, you know, on, on owner investment and mm. owner funding, you know, just to just to do the the business as usual stuff. And I think that's why we're seeing, you know, we are, you know, we do have a regulator, and that's why we are looking at both redistribution and reform of the rules because one without the other. Is, is, is pretty pretty useless to be honest with you um, and every conversation that I've been in you know involved in recent times there is a great appetite for the reforming of the rules as well I think we're making good progress and I'm, I'm very comfortable that yes we will have 72 uh, EFL clubs in, in five years time because I think we'll have a change of the rules that, that see a more sustainable landscape that, that helps improve the competition but improve football clubs as community assets and as businesses in their own right well, that yeah, I mean, I think every every football fan wants that. I, I was I was talking to um, some some Luton fans uh, yesterday, and they were telling me about how much they hate Watford. And I says, "Well, how much do you hate Watford? You know, if if Watford went bust, how would you feel?" And they, and they said, "Well, we'd be devastated." I said, "Well, you've just been telling me that you hate them." And they go, "Well, yeah, but we but we hate them. But you can't have a rivalry without rivals." And secondly. Loads of our mates are Watford fans. You know, who, who are we who are we going to take the Mickey out of if if they don't exist? So, it, it, I think you're absolutely right. The sustainability uh, in the industry is is absolutely critical. I mean, you 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 touched upon the, the the rationale behind early bird season tickets. Um, we're going through a cost of living crisis. Football ultimately 
is discretionary spending from from the perspective of a fan. Yep. How how bad is it? I mean, are you noticing a, a decrease? Are, are, is our merchandise sales falling or are we still showing a degree of resilience because football is is the most important of the unimportant things in life and, and we're probably at a slight advantage over other discretionary spends? Yeah, and I think it's a really good question. And and, and the hard facts of, of that are that we, we're not seeing a material difference um, in terms of core product lines for the want of a better term so so match tickets attendance um and and shirt sales that th- those seem to be um you know tracking as per previous years what we are starting to see in the football industry or certainly at lincoln city is is that secondary spend so that that additional spend that people would have on the ma- on the match day whether that's you know in in the bars um in and around the stadium or whether that is um, in, in the club shop itself or, or other items that, that may become available on match days. You know, programme sales is, is a different topic altogether, but, you know, hugely declining, um, you know, uh, hugely declining sales in, in, in the industry. Um, and I think that's where we as, as custodians of football clubs have got to be very careful because you're absolutely right. It, it should come out of the disposable income bucket in, in any household income. But I think at times we often see um, how it really doesn't, and, and football means mm. far more to people, and that and that's why we we have to be acutely sensitive. You know, not not to make this all about Lincoln City, but you know, this year we we put our season ticket prices up by uh, about four percent. Um, our operating costs have gone up by a forecasted fifteen to eighteen percent. Um, but we just didn't feel, you know, we couldn't pass that 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 all on on onto the fan. Um, and equally, we, we created a new a new season ticket product that, that actually reduced the price of, of the match day for, for some in, in, in certain parts of the ground. But I think this is this is a, a real challenge that we have. The whole you know the financial ecosystem, not just in football, but in, in day-to-day working life, we, we have to be so sensitive um, uh, as, as people running football clubs right now. Um, because yeah, we, we certainly don't want to be um, you know, you know, taking too much from the fan because I think uh, you know clearly they have a breaking point. But equally, we have to respect and understand that yeah, we will often get that that first piece of disposable income. So we we have to be very sensitive and, and sensible with how we ask for that, when we ask for it, uh, and exactly what we're providing in terms of value for money. Brilliant, brilliant. And just just one final question, uh, Liam. Uh, I've just I just I've been looking at your website. I've, I've seen I've seen that you're advertising for a senior finance manager. Now, what, one of my relatives has contacted me and says, "Does it involve collecting cash? Because <laughs> if it does, he might be willing to submit his CV um, if if you're interested." Uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll look out for Uncle Terry's uh, application, shall we say? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Liam, and all the best to everybody at Lincoln for the rest of the season and, and keep up the fantastic work. You, you, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, to, to make you feel slightly embarrassed, but, but your club is a shining light uh, in terms of what, what I have to deal with on a regular basis, trying to dig out, the, dig out the numbers. So keep it up. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Thank you. It sounds. I mean, what are the implications for for other clubs? Well, if this is going to be the standard approach taken by merchants, and, and merchants are, it's not. It's not Visa and Mastercard themselves. It's the people that sort out those those funny machines that you tap and ah, uh, right. yeah, do all right. the technology. 
but they they have financial responsibilities. Um, we have what Liam was saying that 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 ability is going to be taken away for both debit and credit cards. It is season ticket renewal time. Yeah. Um, potentially, Lincoln at a time when they're trying to generate the most money um, are going to be missing out. But the thing which absolutely scared me witless mm. was the fact that if let, let's say that your your season ticket is renewed. You, you pay the credit card company the full amount and it works out as, I don't know, what, £25 per, per match. Normally, the credit card company or the debit company, the, the merchant, would give, give the football club all of that money immediately. And that's really good because, the, you know, football clubs don't play football over the course of the summer. So they need, they need season ticket renewals to see them over the summer. But from, from what Liam was saying, what is going to happen is that even if you do find another merchant, it looks as if they're going to say, well, we're only going to release the money to you from the season ticket holder on a match-by-match basis. So that means you're completely banjaxed over the course of the summer um, unless the, the owner puts up a bond um, to, to guarantee that if something does happen to the club, that the, the, the owner's bond will be used to, to pay back the, the merchant any money that they may have to repay to fans. And, and this this is huge huge issue because you know, many owners don't don't have a spare you know, half a million million pounds whatever it's going to be and we are talking significant six figure sums or seven figure sums um, so it, it's putting the industry which is still recovering yeah you know, we are in a post COVID period but you know, we did have a full eighteen months where football was was a was in industry in a bit of a mess in the sense that. Matches were taking place, but you, but you weren't generating money, so you still had to pay the wages and some of the overheads. Um, and, and if this does spread, and you know the the uh, the merchant themselves, they will argue we're a risk business. We assess the football as being too risky, and I understand that. But for me, at a time when things are precarious, and I, and I was talking to a director of another club only a couple of weeks ago, and he said, the storm is coming. And I said, yeah, football's coming out of it now. And he says, no, you've got it completely wrong. The storm is coming. This is this is potentially horrendous news. Well, that does sound gloomy, doesn't it? I mean, there are two things about this Lincoln story, Kieran. Firstly, perhaps naively, uh, I, along with a lot of other people, didn't realise there were middle merchants involved, middle men, middle women, for want of a better word, involved, I just always assumed that a club would have a relationship directly with the credit card provider. And secondly, I know people who have their credit cards only for their season ticket because Mm. whatever you think about credit cards and getting into credit, and in an ideal world, none of us would do that, but we don't live in an ideal world. And most people, a lot of people, can't afford to splash out five, six, seven hundred quid or more at one time to buy their season ticket at this time of year. They, the credit card is the way they spread it over the season because so many clubs now don't have their own internal credit system anymore or their own system where you can pay in free instalments. So if you're taking that option away from fans, you're gonna the, the club's losing more money, aren't they? Yeah, and, and the, the the intermediaries are in, in the best position. You know, they're, they're getting the fan to effectively put the money onto the credit card up front and are charging them interest. 
and the, and then then they're releasing the money to the club on a match by match basis. That's that, that's a you know, for, from when, when, you know, you know, I, I teach finance and I say the most important thing in the world of finance is not profit, it's not revenue, it's cash flow mm. and the cash flow implications. If this becomes the standard approach in the football industry, are catastrophic. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you, and you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our questions pod, and in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, folks, thanks very much for all the support um, and the, the way that you engage with us on, on social media and sending us uh, messages. We're getting some fantastic photographs of people from all over the world who are wearing the, the price of football football shirt. And, and we're delighted to be able to there say that we, we managed to uh, sort out the things with the suppliers. And, and we have paid, I think, £350, which is all of the profits from the shirts, um, has gone to gambling with lives, which which is a a fantastic organisation. So so thank you and uh, do, do enjoy the shirts. Um, there's there's other ways that you can um, help us, and and that's to give us a review. And it and it doesn't matter uh, what you say in the reviews. Um, it's it's the fact that it helps in terms of the number of reviews and so on. It helps with algorithms. So you could even say that uh, you would rather have the show presented by Beyonce and Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke, who I think would provide a fantastic duo. I reckon they'd probably get on quite well. (laughs) Yes. He is without doubt the scariest man I've ever seen. And I'm I'm going to see Killing Joke at the Albert Hall on Sunday. And those are two words I never thought would ever appear in the same sentence. Well, Kieran, all I hope is, as it's at the Albert Hall that the audience dress up as smartly as the band. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, son, for the